This week on Our Thing. I just remember his partner always saying to me, when he comes for a haircut, do not talk to him. Just cut his hair. All my staff would say, no, 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 don't book him in with me. No, I don't want to do it. Author Kathy Ovescio de Bella reveals 30 years of secrets in her new book, Unbosomed. It's 99% of people who've tried law of attraction say it failed. But 64% of Christians say that their prayers work. And author P.B. Lamb guides us down the Christian path to the manifestation of wealth. Stay tuned for the most entertaining hour in radio. This is Our Thing with everyone's favorite ex-gangster, Gunner, 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 Gunner. What's up? Welcome back to Our Thing on 1010 The King. I'm joined by my co-host and partner in crime from Partners in Crime Podcast, Wild Bill Crooks. We call him Wild Bill. You're not the first. Salud. Salud. So I just got back from New York. I met up with Larry Mazza, former Colombo crime family hitman. Very nice guy. Good friend of mine. Took me out to dinner a couple of times. Beautiful dinners. Also was joined by John A. Light. Very controversial ex-gangster. Yeah, I guess he was a hitman, too, for John Gotti in that whole Gambino outfit at one point. Hung out with him, which was fun, too. He's, I've hung out with him before in L.A. and Larry in L.A. That was fun. But I got to say, New York is a trip, man. Like, I forgot. I lived in New York for a minute. To be honest with you, I don't even think it was two years I was there. But I did a lot in that two-year period. And maybe one day I'll do a whole show. I'll talk about some of the scams and rackets and mob crap that I was involved in. Petty minor stuff. But it was actually really entertaining. Like If I tell you the stories of the crap that I got involved in, it was pretty wild, man, to think that I was 20 years old, 21 years old, running around New York City. And so that's what was weird about it, going back to New York City 30 years later and roaming around the city alone by myself the same way that I did 30 years ago. The what I do was back when I was there, I had these different scams and hustles and rackets and I go make like six or eight hundred dollars, right, in a day. Which is a good score for me back then, you know, the early nineties. Yeah, it's a good score now, really. I mean six hundred a day. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the score was tied to Manhattan. I was scamming these textiles out of this factory and then selling them in the garment district. So I'd contract either these crackheads or a car service to drive it there. I give them seventy-five bucks and then I'd sell it for like eight hundred. Then I'd say, Well, I got nothing to do the rest of the afternoon. So I go wandering around like Manhattan. I go through Times Square, Uptown, like Midtown, Central Park. I would just go exploring. I might hit a nightclub. It might be 9, 10 o'clock at night. I go at a nightclub. I meet some girls. I might leave with a girl. It just whatever life took me, it was fun. It was interesting. But going back there 30 years later, walking around, now that I live out in the woods, I'm happily married. I live a very solitude, quiet life. And here I am in this madness that is New York City walking around. It It was really crazy. But I had fun. It was productive. I was interviewed by James English. For the podcast that anything goes with James English, so check that out. He's a UK podcaster, real big deal. So it would never cross your mind once to go try to look up Vince or even that Samoan girl? No, no. That's <laughs> funny. The Samoan girl, no idea. Like, I don't even remember her name. But Vince, it did cross my mind. If he was alive, he'd be like 75 years old now, but he could still be out there, bro. That guy who was a gang. Sitting at the bar in that same coat and saying, yeah. Oh, that would be funny if I, I looked him up and he showed up in his Gilligan hat. Oh, that guy was a gangster. Scary guy. He'd kill you. Oh, wise guy, eh? Anyways, Bill, I know you got some street beats to talk about. What you got on the floor on street beats? This is the segment of the show where Bill reports on the latest underworld news, and I think he's got some for it. All right, street beats. This is an odd coincidence. This is based on an article by Mary Jo Lindblom. Get out of here. My aunt is named Mary Jo Lindblom, my dad's sister. Is she a journalist? Uh, not that I know of, but uh, maybe. Well, that's, that's who this is credited to. It was posted November 15th, and it goes like this. 
Who should you call before you dig? Well, if you're running a couple of horse farms in upstate New York, you might want to call the FBI. I honestly don't know much about horse farming, but I assume they don't plant horses there. They may, however, be planning mob victims. It's reported that the feds have been searching for bodies in at least two such operations in Orange County. Sources say the activities related to federal investigations into the Gambino crime family, which we reported on a couple shows ago. Investigators were seen using heavy equipment, including a backhoe and, of course, shovels to search around the property. It's been reported that both farms were formerly owned by Giovanni De Lorenzo, who shares a surname as one of the accused Gambino family associates who found himself indicted recently, apparently getting a little heavy handed with New York's garbage and demolition industries. The extortion attempt started in late 2017, but they seem to have gone a step beyond simple threats. One victim was presumably on the wrong side of the whack-a-mole board, described as being beaten severely with a hammer. And a restaurant owner was the target of an attempted arson. They also threatened to cut his body in half magician style, among other brutal crimes. The men involved have been slapped with charges, including racketeering, conspiracy, extortion, witness retaliation, fraud, and embezzlement. Each is facing 20 to 180 years in prison for the plethora of crimes they allegedly committed. The Phoebes are acting on a tip from an informant. If I had to wager on whether a mob guy buries bodies on his own property, I'd have to take the under. Ironically, making me the undertaker. That's your street beats. <laughs> well done. Yeah. To be perfectly honest, I will say this. Most mob guys aren't that smart. If they were, they wouldn't be mob guys. There are a few really smart mob guys. Jack Toko is one of them. You know, guys like that. Even Tony Jack. He spent a life in crime. Made a lot of money, only did seven years in prison, died at 83 years old. You know, it's a pretty smart guy. Most mob guys aren't that smart, and they will do that because they're stupid. If you're willing to become a mobster, you're just not that smart because it's a life that ends badly, and you know it. Yeah, I just see a lot of cases where informants tell people where the bodies are buried. They're almost never there. Oh, of course. Yeah, well, that with Jimmy Hoffa, I mean, yeah. Tony Zarelli, who was the underboss of the Detroit mob, who was kind of a persona non grata, dunce reject i mean everybody thought he was an idiot after he's getting old and about to die he hated jack toko so bad that he told the feds that hoffa was buried on jack toko's property and then they went out there and dug up all his property and didn't find nothing and that was the prank yeah then he claimed it was just a f you to the fbi ha 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 but it was more of like a f you to jack toko yeah he's too old to give him a yard job so he got the feds to do it for him <laughs> right exactly <laughs> And those are two guys who got like in a pushing match in their 80s, you know, and they're like, this yeah, yeah, I remember they got in some kind of scrap. Yeah, two freaking, I mean, like Tony Zarelli was in India. And the funny part is while Tony Zarelli was over there, like getting in it with Jack Toko, Jack Toko sent some guys over to his house. They kicked in Tony Zarelli's door and stole his safe. So all the money that he had left, which wasn't that much, maybe, you know, a couple hundred thousand in jewelry and cash, they, they kicked in the door. Took it. <laughs> so they left the freaking idiot with nothing. And, but that's what you get for going to the feds and talking about, oh, there's bodies out in your property. Anyways, I, I never really knew the guy, but uh, I met him a couple times. He didn't like me. I didn't like him. The guy who yelled at me for extorting a Polish guy in Hamtramck that supposedly was his the guy or under his guy. So he yelled at me. About, oh, yeah, I know who you're talking about. But other than that, I didn't really know the freaking guy. He's just another one of my grandpa's friends, old guy. All right, well, we got to take a quick commercial break. So stay tuned on 1010 The King, our thing. We'll be right back. Hey, have you checked out our thing apparel? It's the original gangster clothing brand that lets you represent where you live, featuring t shirts, hoodies, 
vintage tracksuits, and more. Our Thing Apparel allows you to customize your clothing for your city or state. And now we're proud to launch our Atlanta line of urban casual wear. Check out OurThingApparel.com and use the promo code 1010 when checking out to get 10% off your total order. Make our thing your thing. Do you own a timeshare? Well, face the facts. You made a mistake. You made a bad purchase. A timeshare is not an investment. It's a money pit that continues forever. If you use your timeshare, that's great. But if you don't and you want to legally get out of your contract, call my friends right now at the Timeshare Exit Hotline. They're an experienced team of lawyers who help good people like you get out of a timeshare contract that they just don't want. Don't throw away your money on maintenance fees. Use it for things you really want. We can help you end your timeshare contract and stop the money drain immediately. If you're ready to move on with your timeshare, call our team right now. Cancel your timeshare now with a free call. 800-852-1736. 800-852-1736. That's 800-852-1736. What's up? Welcome back to Our Thing on 1010 The King. And right now I'd like to welcome to the show my first guest, Kathy. I'm going to let you pronounce your name because I'm probably going to get it wrong. Vessio de Bella. Very Italian. Vessio de Bella. She's from Australia, if you didn't pick up that accent from down under. I've met a lot of great Australian people in the last like, couple of years, and I really like them. They're very warm. They're kind. They're generous. They're honest. They're good people. Politically, they're a little kind of crazy, but we can get into that, too. She's a really interesting person with a really interesting story. Now, one of the things that I like to pride myself on, me and Bill pride ourselves on, is bringing a diverse or eclectic mix of authors to the show. We have writers of all kinds. And the main reason is everybody has a story behind their story. And every time somebody sits down to write a book, there's an inspiration behind it. And usually that inspiration is pretty fascinating. It's like what led them to sit down and do this tremendous amount of work and detail to write in a book. I'm going to let her tell her story. So just tell us a little about yourself, where you're from, and what led you down this path to get you to the point where you said, I'm going to write this book. So I'm from Melbourne, Australia, and I grew up in the same community pretty much my whole life. Had a hairdressing salon for over three decades, and everyone sort of just shares and vents and discloses a lot. I guess we become the third wheel in the relationship or the conversations. You're like a sober bartender. Or a therapist. Yeah, absolutely. So we become the makeshift counsellor, I guess, Yeah. yeah, if you would say that. So I'd always wanted to write a book because of all the stories I'd heard. Lockdown happened, which gave me time. And when I was cleaning out my home one day, I found my trinket box. And my trinket box was full of lots of different stories from people from all walks of life. And it just had a name. So it might have had Gunner and something that happened to you. And as soon as I picked up that little piece of paper, it just brought me back to that conversation. And I just started writing and it just flowed. So each little piece of paper had a name and a little back end story and off I went. So yeah, Melbourne lockdown gave me that time to write this book, which I'd always wanted to do. Real people, real stories, change your names for privacy reasons, of course, because otherwise I'd get into a lot of trouble. But yeah, that's what inspired me to write the book I'd always wanted to write. And there you did it. Yeah, all the secrets that people had shared with me. But you know, there's some really beautiful stories. There's some really horrifying stories. There's some confronting stories, but that's life, isn't it? This is completely different than anything we've heard. 
Yeah, Bill, I was just going to ask, is it just me or do I think this is a brilliant idea for a book? And this is brilliant. Absolutely. I've not had this come across our table. It's unique. And what I love about it is, and I say this to everybody, you can meet any random person on the planet, right? Any random, I don't care what country, whatever, and say, tell me your story. And if they start diving into their story, they're going to have some crazy stuff to tell you. That's like, oh my God, crazy. And so as a hairstylist or working in a salon, you get these people come in, they're relaxed, they know you week after week, month after month, year after year, and they feel comfortable with you. And they start like venting and sharing their innermost secrets and things that happen, domestic stuff and all this. And she's just sitting here absorbing it all. And in her mind, she's like, wow, man, that's a crazy story. And so she was cognizant enough to at some point they kind of take notes of it and like highlight the best stories and think this could make for a great book this is a perfect coffee table book you know but it makes sense because so many people have so many stories everybody's got a story the question i would have right off the bat how did you decide to organize all these different stories? Like, yeah. how do you figure that out? Took me sort of quite some time, but you know, as I said, Melbourne lockdown was very extensive. So I had lots of time. So I actually categorized everything into sort of different chapters from domestic violence to abuse, to mental health and addiction, to sexual encounters and harassment. Mm manipulation, bad attitudes. Once I wrote everything, I thought, yep, that story belongs in that category, that story belongs in that category, and that's how I brought it together to life, I guess, yeah. You must be a natural writer because you can't really remember the conversation verbatim, so you're going to kind of recount it the best you can mm. and like make it by using good writing. So if you're a good writer, you only need the general premise of a story, and then you can write it in a way that is absorbed by the reader and it's entertaining. So I'm assuming you weren't a fan of the lockdowns in Australia. Coming from a business background and having a small business in my community where my salon was inclusive, everyone was welcome, the door was always welcome and opening, and I'm a very embracing, warm person, to have to say, sorry, Gunnar, you've been my client for 30 years, but you can't come in today because you weren't vaccinated. That did not sit well with me. So I actually removed myself from my salon and I didn't work at all because all the rules didn't align with my values, I guess. And yeah, you've been my bread and butter your whole life. You know, you've supported my salon and all of a sudden I've got to shut you out. And I just, you know, was ringing the government and the council and saying, well, hang on a minute. Why can't I just put a mask on, come and get his hair cut the same way he can go yeah. to the supermarket or the bottle shop? It doesn't make sense. Right. Especially now that we know even vaccinated people can still spread it. It's, it's no different. Right. Yeah, I was going to say it's a whole big red tape and political story and it just makes me really yeah. edgy because I just, like I said, I'm a very make everyone inclusive and it just didn't feel right when people that were my clients for so long started to get really upset with me. So I actually thought, you know what, I'm not dealing with this and I walked away. So, yeah, that's that's how I actually walked away from my salon. In Australia, did they go ahead and pay you for the time you were down? Because in America, they went crazy. They said 800 bucks a week for everybody that doesn't work. It didn't matter if your employee made $400 a week. All exactly. of a sudden, they were getting 800 So yeah. people were walking off the job. It was so Nobody mishandled. Nobody wanted to work. So yeah. mishandled in the United yeah. States. 
it tanked our economy. Yeah. Yeah. Same same outcome here. Yeah. It was it was a really really eye opener. It was very interesting times. That's for sure. But yeah, let's hope we don't revisit that again because it really affected a lot of people in a lot of different ways. That's for sure. What were the people in your city saying? Were they angry? Did they agree with the vaccine? What were they? Oh, look, all of the above. There were people that were supporting it, people that were against it, people that were arguing about it. Family dynamics were like being shifted. Yeah. Relationships were being shifted and tested. For me, I have two young adult children and my husband. We just sat around the table and said, we're all adults. Everyone do what you need to do. We're not fighting about this. Just do what you feel you need right. to do. But, you know, it's still going now. There's the fours against. And, you know, you just learn to speak to who you want to speak to and not speak when you don't need to speak because we're just not going to align with our thinking sometimes and that's just how it is. So, yeah, yeah. I don't get caught up yeah. in it anymore because I just think, I just believe what I believe. You believe what you believe. And, you know. It's not worth sacrificing personal relationships for it. If you think it is. No, but a, but no. a lot of that happened. I don't know if it happened at your end. Yeah. We're coming up to Christmas now. And I remember quite a few people saying to me they weren't invited to their Christmas lunch or dinner because they weren't vaccinated. And it was just really disheartening, all the oh. things that were happening. There's thousands of stories around this conversation, this topic. What are a couple of the most interesting stories that you, over 30 years, found their way into the book? I had a client for like more than three decades. In the book, her name's Abigail, and I called her husband Shady. Abigail would always come in with her sunglasses on and then sort of tip him down, and she'd always have black eyes, and then she'd take you out in the back room oh. and show you all her scars and bruises. There was a lady who was beautiful. She was a working girl on the streets who ended up with a sugar daddy and turned her whole life around. So sugar daddy times two has a wife and his, I guess, side hustle. But, you know, this young lady's life got turned around and her son got put through school and she got an apartment and cars and still funded to this day. One day I could be cutting Peter's hair and then Sassy comes in and then two days later Peter's girlfriend also comes in, but I'm friends with Sassy the wife. Uh -oh. There's just so many stories, you know. Yeah, yeah. There was a lot of young kids that went through drug and alcohol problems. There was some suicide situations. It's just real life stuff that was happening to people in their real homes. And you just wanted to save people, but you just couldn't because yeah, everyone was going through something. Yeah. yeah. Billy's one of my favourite. I use Billy's name for real because I'm still friends with his mum and dad to this day. Billy's a young boy that grew up in the community alongside my son and you know they were good mates and he just ended up on the wrong path and he's been in and out of jail ever since and he's just a beautiful beautiful soul and such a gorgeous young man and yeah it's just trying to find his way in life again and and just yeah confronting all these obstacles and beautiful family. He just ended up on the wrong side of the rails, I guess. Well, I can relate. You know, one of the things I used to do when I used to go to this barber shop, the guy's name was Nick. That's why I actually used Nick and Cuts in my book. But while he was giving me a cut, I'd be like, have you seen George lately or Dennis? Or my best friend had died of a, a heroin overdose, right? And when I came in, it was real quiet and, you know, kind of like, you know, reserved. I'm kind of like, what's this problem? He goes, listen, I just wanted to say, man, I'm sorry about your friend Jay. And I'm like, I didn't even know this guy knew I was friends with Jay. So when you go in, you would run through a list of like 
15 names. Seeing this guy lately, that guy lately, what's he been up to? Yes. That was just the place to kind of catch up on the neighborhood gossip and put your finger on the what's happening. And you were that person. So if you love Al, you find out at the barber shop that his best friend spot is open. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, my best friend's dead. So anybody else would like to step up? No. Well, that's it. Yeah, I totally get that because I've been in my community since I was five. And then I was in the salon for 33 years. So I grew up in the community with all the kids, went to high school. Yeah. Then I became the local hairdresser at 18. So I knew everything, but I knew nothing. And that was the way I had to think. I like her, Bill. She says, I knew everything, but I know nothing. But I don't know nothing if you ask me. It's only between us. Yeah, you know, I just come home and I'd sort of know a lot about what was going on in the community with where the kids were hanging out and who was doing what. And I'd sort of share some of these stories with my kids without saying the names. And I'd say to my kids, just don't let me see you hanging out here because it's like, how do you know that? It's like, don't worry how I know. Just don't let me see you hanging out there. <laughs> so it was like I just knew everything. But when people You're saw right. me up the street and they'd start asking me, it was like, oh, no, I'm yeah. not sure about that. I don't know, but I did know. So I always had to be careful. Be- yeah, you had to be confidential. Absolutely, right. yeah. If I was your kid, I'd be like, what other parties do you know about that I should stay away from? <laughs> well, you know what I loved about my journey in the hairdressing salon is that, you know, everything I've heard and listened to, you know, the conversations around my dinner table with my family were always very raw and real, although, I, like I said, never disclosed names. But, you know, I never hid anything about what was happening in the big wide world because it's happening. It's real and it's still happening today. Did you ever hear anything criminal that you felt like you should report or could report? How can I say it without saying too much? So if there's lots of people that ride motorbikes and stuff like that and they have, you know, part of certain teams, if you want to call it, crew, whatever. Gang. Yeah, so there was one of the gentlemen who was a part of that crew. I won't tell you which part of in the crew he was, but... I just remember his partner always saying to me, when he comes for a haircut, do not talk to him. Just cut his hair. Just don't have a conversation unless he starts talking to you because if you start talking to him, he'll just tell you to shut the F up. And I was like, oh, okay. So when he'd come in, all my staff would say, no, 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 don't book him in with me. No, I don't want to do it. No, no. So, of course, being the the person in charge, I would always align myself to cutting his hair. But, you know, after time, we actually had good conversations and I ended up finding out a lot of back-end stuff and I'd always say, geez, I'd love to be a fly on the wall in one of those rooms that you hang out in. But he would tell me all the stuff. And I never even told my staff the things that he told me because it was a lot. And I was afraid of that information getting out and then coming back to me. So that's why they said don't talk to him because they know he talks too much. Yeah. Yeah. He might say something he shouldn't. Yeah. Did you ever have people with just like really nasty hair that you just can't believe you have? Yeah. Gross, dirty people. Yes. There was a call it a stinky hair young guy that used to come in and it was like we'd say, had he not washed his hair for months? months to the point where you were at the basin washing his hair you couldn't get the knots out the aroma of this awful oh. stench would just come up in oh it was awful yeah so you did get some really gross hair dirty filthy smelly yeah. yes when i was young that's what i was thinking i had long knotted nasty hair and sometimes i'd go in and get it all cut off and i can only imagine what they thought when i walked in like by the way i've never been to australia <laughs> well i have to compliment your hair now because a lot of people pay lots of money for that silvery 
coloured hair. <laughs> we used to yeah. think when someone came in with dreadies because there was a few and, you know, the hair did but, smell. It was like, oh, my God, what is growing in there? Gross. Yeah. It, it wasn't <laughs> great, but it's a good, it is a good look, though. The dreadies are a good look, I must say. If you can keep them clean, yeah. So what's one of the most emotional stories that you've ever told? Oh, look, there's a lot of emotional stories from something really emotionally sad. One of my clients, absolutely beautiful with three boys. I literally got a phone call one day and her son jumped off the train station platform right in front of the train, you know, and I'd seen this kid not long prior. You would never have picked that he was going through something. He seemed quite sort of coherent and switched on and happy-go-lucky. This family's never recovered because no one saw the signs. That was emotionally disheartening. You know, and then there's been families, I've seen kids grow up in the community who have then gone on to get married and have children who are now grandparents. There's so many stories. There's great ones, there's sad ones, there's diverse ones. But, yeah, I shared a lot of the stories. I could really write a trilogy of books with all the people I've met. There were people who were getting inheritances and just blew it up on snorting cocaine and just living the life. There was a client, he was beautiful, he's such a lovely man, but he would just always relive his upbringing that he'd be stuck in a hotel room with his six-pack as a six-year-old young kid with a packet of potato chips and the TV blaring full, you know, and his parents would go out and he'd wake up to the zzz of the TV the next morning. He's in his 60s now and the stories that he shared with me, you sort of think, wow, is this really, really happening to people? And yes, it is, you know. Yeah. Everyone has a story to tell. There are just so many different stories. Domestic violence was probably one of the biggest things that inspired me to write the book because I had a client who I had to keep this secret for for such a long time and it got to a point where I had to release what I knew because it was becoming dangerous and I just rang her sons one day and I said, I cannot hold this secret anymore. I need to share what I know because I'm really afraid of what's going to happen to your mum. And I'm sorry, but you you got to back me here. And they Good agreed and we went on to sort of, yeah, bring bring that to sort of the authorities. It was a lot. So, you know, I think in lockdown I actually felt like my mind was working overtime with everything that I knew and it was just a lot of information. The name of the book is called Unbosoming, which means to get it off your chest. Yeah. And that's why I called it Unbosoming because I needed to get it off my chest too. That was therapy for me. Well, I think it's fantastic. Do you have one queued up? You can read us a story. Uh, Yeah. I'll read a little story I wrote about myself. After more than three decades of experience within a salon without a psychology degree, I have realized that hairstylists are some of the oldest and youngest psychologists helping people deal with the issues that they face on a day-to-day basis. Hairdressers and beauty workers should be acknowledged for acting like makeshift counsellors. And I'm 100% certain that a degree in psychology could have never prepared me for all the conversations I've had in the salon and what I've learnt. I'm not just a hairdresser or stylist, but I'm someone who makes time to listen to your stories. That's just a part of that story. Perfect. Yeah, that's perfect. You saw it all. Yeah. Fantastic concept for a book. I think the back end of the book is that I want people to know that if you read one story, because they're all hundreds of little stories, you're going to feel something. It's going to be relatable and you're going to know someone that's gone through that. Or more importantly, I want people to feel like they're not alone because things are happening in this big wide world and we're more alike you know than what we think and we do have feelings so yeah the the book is all about feelings and vulnerability and just knowing that you're not alone and we are all going through something 
Relatability is the key to every successful book. The beauty about it now is all this time later, I've made some beautiful friendships. I've been yeah. to weddings and christenings and, you know, I've holidayed with some of my clients. <laughs> um, yeah, it's been amazing. That's awesome. Yeah, that is amazing. That's awesome. That is amazing. Yeah, this sounds incredible. So, Kathy, now that you've written a book, do you have the bug? Are you going to write another one? Do you ever think about what's next? Yeah, I'd like to definitely write another one. Um, I'm one of those organic type people, so don't have really a plan. Plan is in when it's going to happen, but I know it will happen. Yeah, I'm just sort of finding my feet outside of the salon because I walked away from my salon at the end of 2021. Uh, but I'm not sure yet. So, yes, definitely in the pipelines to write another book. Well, you're an amazing woman, Kathy. It sounds like you did everything right and you made it happen. You found your niche in life, your career, had a beautiful family, still happily married. I'm sure he's a good man. You live in a beautiful part of the world. So congratulations for job well done. No pun intended, but you, you, you did it. You Now you're on to this next chapter. Ah, no, nice pun. You're writing books about these experience of yours. Also, target this book to every salon. It's a shoo-in. If I owned a salon, why yeah. would I not buy this book? You'd have to have rocks in your head. Right. You, you have to buy it. You have to buy it. It's de definitely a good coffee table book for sure in your salon. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. You got to have that. Beauty school too should be in there too. Because those people in the school, are, that'd be a great kind of like preparation. This is what you got to get prepared for. I do say to people, expect the unexpected in the book and, you know, heads up. It is a little raw and real and confronting, but it's real. And when it's real, you can't shift away from that can you it's real that's right kathy so it's a pleasure having you on we appreciate you anyways tell everybody where they can find your book and where they can find you so my book can be found on amazon or my website at www.unbosoming.com or booktopia google unbosoming and it'll come up somewhere unbosoming like the bosoms but unbosoming make yes. sure to check her out and where are you at on social media if they want to find you the daily mirror the daily mirror the daily mirror is my new platform so like you i'm on a radio on the mornington peninsula and now having chats with people who come and share their stories as well You'll have to have us on. Yeah, I will. Thank you. Thanks for your time. And I really enjoyed my chat with you guys today. We enjoyed you too. All right, we got to take a quick break. But when we come back, I'll be back with my second guest of the night. Stay tuned on 1010 The King. It's our thing. Has someone in your family lost a job recently and now you can't afford your mortgage payment? Or do you have a rental property and your tenants aren't paying you? We can come to the rescue and pay you cash for your home immediately. Yes, sell your home and get cash all over the phone without dealing with real estate agents or having to waste time showing your home to lukewarm buyers. You don't need to lose your house to foreclosure. If you have equity in your home, we'll buy your home and give you cash within days, all in a simple over the phone and virtual process. Call now before your situation gets worse. Sell a home you can't afford or just need anymore and get the cash you need today. Call this number now. 800-950-3143. 800-950-3143. That's 800-950-3143. Paid for by Want to Sell. What's up? 
Welcome back to Our Thing on 1010 The King. And now I'd like to bring on my second guest of the night, P.B. Lamb, author, military veteran. I'm excited about this. But first of all, thank you for your time in the military. I always try to address that whenever I have a veteran on. You know, we're very grateful for, you know, your commitment to the country and that. And you spent many years in the military, too. Yes. And by the way, welcome to the show. Oh, well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Yes, I spent over 12 years in the military. You know what? I'm not going to lie, and I don't take this wrong, but you look like a badass military chick. And I don't mean that like in a butchy <laughs> way, like like G.I. Jane, but just look like a tough chick. You look like you could be the poster child for you know an army woman, you know, but in a good way. But for the benefit of the audience, yeah, she's also very thin and pretty. Yeah, she's very attractive. You know? <laughs> don't get the wrong idea. Yeah, no, I'm trying to, I, I spoke before I thought about that, but really she just looks like she could be a badass military and it's not like in a butch way at all just anyway so in an action movie kind of way yeah <laughs> well funny enough i tell people when they're like oh what branch of the service were you in i was like come on all the pretty girls go to the air force so <laughs> that makes sense that makes even more sense yeah if i had a perfect life do-over i would join the air force and be a fighter pilot that's i'm just saying it there you go if I could do it, I know it's a very hard job and not everybody can do it, but I, I believe in my heart of hearts that if I had to do over, I could accomplish that. I probably would have been a fighter pilot for 10, 12 years so my eyes started going bad or worse. Then I would have joined the CIA and became like a spy or something. That, that, <laughs> that's the novelist in me, you know what I'm saying? But anyways, get back to your story. So tell us a little about your story, where you're from, where you grew up, Terry, then what happened next? So start in the beginning. Though. Well, you know, this is my second time on your show. They may not remember, but this is my second time with you. My first book was Angels of Light. And I took kind of some liberties with five major religions and combined it into a fictional story. Mm -hmm. This book, however, is nonfiction. And how we got here is because I'm actually a flight attendant now. So I went from the Air Force to being a flight attendant. There you go. There's those looks again. Yep. And now I work, you know, where I'm still dealing with people, but I learned everybody's stories. And so I kind of use that cornucopia of knowledge in yeah. the plane to create stories. But what I found was with Angels of Light 2, which is what I was writing, I found that there's a need for what my new book is about. And so that catches us up to here, but I was military and then I became a flight attendant and I started writing and here we are. Well, first of all, were you always interested in creativity, writing, an artist, or did, was that something new to you? Or, you know, what point did you decide, I want to write a book? Actually, I've been writing pretty much most of my life since I was in high school. My first rejection letter came from the high school newspaper. I have been writing pretty much my entire life. It's just I didn't decide to publish until a little over a year ago when I decided to put out Angels of Light. Yeah, I think that's often the case with a lot of writers. They're always a writer kind of bottled up, just waiting to be unbottled. You always had the creative juices, always had the stories in your mind. You've always been able to write in your mind. And then there was a point where you decided, I'm going to write. Like, what was the turning point, though? What was the day? Like, I'm going to write a book. What was that about? Angels of Light was a dream. I actually had a dream and I woke up from the dream and I was like, oh my gosh, I got to write this down. And then it just started flowing. And then there was a little bit of a writer's block for about five years. And then I picked it back up again. And a little bit, a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> if you read Angels, the first book, there's a mysterious wooden box that shows up. Well, for five years, I didn't even know what was in the wooden box. So I had to figure it out. So that was the writer's block was you know, I was excited. I wanted to know what was in there, but because I was writing this story, I had no idea and I had to wait until it all fell into place. But 
in the meantime, I kind of became a flight attendant. So I was flying all over the place. I've been doing that for nine years. So, you know, one minute you're in Paris, France, and the next minute you're in Amsterdam, you just don't know quite where you're going to end up in time zones. So that played into that writer's block as well as being all over the place. So PB, you wrote this first book, all right? Hopefully had some success. I did. It's funny, by the way, I'm a talker, obviously. So when I go on airplanes, I'm always real friendly with the stewardesses and everybody. And I will sit there and have conversation with them. And some people are like, what's wrong with this guy? I want to shut up. I'm nervous about flying. So I find it to be easier if I talk to the person next to me or the attendant, whoever. Just goes to show you the woman standing next to you is the flight attendant could be a mastermind novelist. You don't know. That's why you got to talk to them. That's why you want to engage people and find out, you know, what's what's their mind about. So what was the catalyst that sparked this new book? And I want to hear about it. So I was in the throes of writing book two for Angels of Light. And the book one is written from the protagonist point of view. And book two is the same story, except it's written from the antagonist point of view. So you're getting both sides of the story now. Cool. The thing is, is that when I was writing it, it was starting to get a little too dark because remember we're dealing with light versus dark and it was going a little too dark a little too demonic really and i didn't want to go down that path and i'm doing some research and i'm watching this television show about how you can use your brain and your mind to control your body and use law of attraction and law of success and all this stuff right and she goes call it source call it energy call it spirit call it whatever you want and i to my audience in my living room you know which was my dog said why are we not calling it god let's just call it what it is. Why are we not calling it God? And and so that kind of sparked where this came from. It just started flowing. And what I've done in what this book is all about is taking that manifestation, which has been long associated with the law of attraction now, and I'm putting God back into it because that's the key. There are biblical passages. This is not some new age thing. This has been around for thousands of years. It's all in the Bible. It's spelled out verse by verse by verse. But they've taken God out of it. And then they go, well, 99% of people say it doesn't work. Well, yeah, because you took the biggest component out of it. So that's kind of how all this came about is I was doing research for Angels of Light 2 to kind of come off of that demon path and take it more towards like a elemental path and all this kind of fell into my lap and then it just started flowing and actually did not have writer's block with this. It just flowed and it came to what it is now and it's just exploding. I mean, people are coming to me out of the woodworks wanting to know where did this come from? Why is this? And how do you make this happen? So it's really God given, honestly. It literally is God given, like literally. So tell us the story, kind of break it down for the readers who want to read this book. Tell us the story and what it's about. Essentially, it is a practical guide for Christians. I was very specific about it being Christian because I used a Christian Bible. So it's not meant to discriminate against other religions or to you know leave them out. Right. It's more meant to be a Christian guide because it's based on a Christian Bible. Yeah. So you know, I want to make that perfectly clear. And as you read through the book, you get the practical steps. One of the things that I have come up with is this manifestation prayer method. And it's a method in which you can speak to God. Now, it's not to say you have to go, you know, 
line by line, but it gives you an idea of how to create God-centered goals, how to manifest for the kingdom of God. Will you as a human being profit from it? Yes, but ultimately the goal and where you're going is building for the kingdom of God and putting God back into our manifestations. You know, we are creating all the time, but you can create so much more if you do it with God. He's your co-creator. You know, you make God CEO of your manifestations and they're going to explode. And that that's the only thing I can explain. The law of attraction, a lot of it, and the law of success and these books, they do have components that are correct, except they're trying to make it all about yourself. And what I'm doing is saying, no, time out. Let's take the self and the selfish part out of it and let's put God back into it. So that's what this book does is it spells it out. It gives you the manifestation prayer method. It helps you make God-centered goals using the SMART goal method. There's God's prosperity plan. And that's something that's big that I discovered in the Bible is God spells out his prosperity plan. Now, everybody's plan is different. Your plan is not my plan. My plan is not so-and-so's plan. I mean, everybody's plan is completely different, but the components of it are all in the Bible. And if you follow that prosperity plan component, you will find your path and your plan. And it it's so interesting to me that these new age thought movement people are trying to say, oh, this is all new. And, and, you know, of course, the new age movement came out in the 1880s and it was really prolific in the 1950s. But the reality is it's been around in the Bible for thousands of years. They just took yeah. God out of it. That's the only yeah. thing that made it different in 1880 is these Plato thought thinkers just took God out of it. And I'm hoping that if someone picks up my book and reads it, they realize they can do all those things, law of attraction stuff, if they put God back into it. And then it becomes 10 times more successful. If you Google the success rate of law of attraction, it says 99% of people who've tried law of attraction say it fails. But if you Google the success rate of of Christians who pray, it says 64% of Christians say that their prayers work. Yeah. Wow. So what does that tell you? 99% versus 64%. If you're going to start using this and you want to start really manifesting, whether it's health or love or money, and this book is geared towards finances, which it also has some practical advice for finances, debt reduction, you know, those kind of things as well. But if you really want to get the most out of your prayers, you use these methods and you use God. That's really it. Yeah, I would even caveat those prayer statistics because you may only get 65% answered, but probably 25% of those would be a horrible thing for you if your prayer was answered. Well, I even address that in the book. And I say, you know, sometimes God answer is no, no, because it's not part of your plan. If you want to figure out what your plan is, you go to God and you start mapping it out with God. And sometimes the answer is no, that is an answer. God is still answering you. Yeah. It's just not what you expect. And or want. Right. And it's a loving no. It's a loving no. Yes. <laughs> this is for your best interest. <laughs> it's always going to be best for you. And if you get no, well, there's a purpose for that. There's a better reason. 13 years in prison. You think I wanted to be in prison for 13 years? Hell to the no. I'm, I just, it is what it is. That was part of the plan. That was part of my manifestation that to get me where he needs me to be or wants me to be that I had to endure a lot of tough times and it's all part of the plan. That was God putting you in the dunce corner. <laughs> 
Yeah, exactly. 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 I, I was the dunce for 13 years and I felt like it too. We all have mistakes. I mean, I've got my own mistakes, which I'm not going to air out on your show. However, oh, come on. no, 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 no. We're going to stick with I was this amazing Air Force woman. Yeah. But we all have mistakes. We all have things that we have done wrong. But every single one of those missteps have led us to this moment right here, yeah. right now, and being on the path that we're meant to be on. As long as you get there, it doesn't matter if you took the jagged path or the straight path, as long as you get to where God is intending you to be. And I believe that's where we are in this moment. This moment. We're where we were meant to be. Well, just to give you an idea, had I not gone to prison, I probably would end up dead or serving life in prison. But had I not been in prison, I wouldn't have wrote nine novels. If I hadn't wrote nine novels, I wouldn't have met my wife. If I didn't meet my wife, I wouldn't be in this home right now. I wouldn't be happily married. And I wouldn't have met Bill. And if I didn't meet Bill, we wouldn't have a show. I wouldn't be talking to you. You see, it's all butterfly effect. And he's right, because I only consort with criminals. (laughs) (laughs) Phoebe, do you ever get biblical pushback? Like they're like, well, it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than a rich man to get there. I have gotten so much pushback already, which tells me I'm on the right path. Because, you know, when you start getting adversaries, you know that you're hitting hot buttons. And the pushback that I'm getting so far is I keep getting accused of this being prosperity gospel. This is so far from prosperity gospel. It's not even in the same realm. But the problem is people don't really understand what prosperity gospel is. Prosperity gospel basically says that in order to be blessed, you have to give your tithes or your money to God. And that's done through churches. That's not what my book says at all. Now, mind you, there is a generosity component to this. There is a giving back to the community, but it doesn't say you only are going to get blessed if you give 10% of your money to the church, which is prosperity gospel. What I'm saying is you can manifest and make your life with God And there is financial gain from it. Absolutely. But you know who else gains from it? The community, the people that you're trying to reach. Jesus said, bring me the people who need me. Don't bring me the people who are already rich and who are already eating from the tables. Bring me those poor. Bring me the hungry. Bring me the ones who need me. Well, that's what this is about. It's about reaching out. Will I in some way probably profit from this? Absolutely. But that's not the end game. That's not the goal of this. The goal of this is to reach out to those people who need to hear this message. That's how I'm trying to make sure people understand that this is not prosperity gospel at all, but you can use it. And will you and your family benefit? Absolutely. The Bible also says that we are supposed to build wealth for generations, Amen. that we are not supposed to build wealth just for ourselves. It's supposed to be for generations. Well, who else am I going to leave it to except for the generations I'm creating? So that's where you have to understand that there's so much more to this than prosperity gospel would tell you. And I'm not going to like call names on some of those preachers that preach prosperity gospel only because they don't want to get sued. However, the reality is it's not about me making money. It's about giving back to the kingdom of God. And it's about giving to the poor and reaching out through charities and giving to homeless shelters. And that is what I believe we're supposed to do with our money and our earnings. We're supposed to God wants you to be happy and he wants you to have a life of abundance. 
in his name. And that can be done. Correct. My wealthiest friends give staggering right. amounts of money to all kinds of causes, and they do so much good. You don't have to be rich and an evil person. Absolutely. I mean, one of the most misquoted verses in the Bible is when people say money is the root of all evil. Well, that's not what the Bible says. What the Bible verse actually says is for the love of money is the root of all evil. Money itself is a tangible item. It's not like it can be inherently evil. That would be like saying the ruler is evil because it measures or the clock is evil because it tells time. It is just a simple tool that is used to purchase things. Love of the money, that is where the evil lies. I even address all of this in my book, these misconceptions. And, and people need to understand these things because we've been systematically programmed our entire lives to believe that we live in a world of lack. And that is not the case. God God has everything and he provides everything. We just have to go to him and then we get it from God instead of trying to manifest it and make it happen ourselves. Because I don't know about you, but anytime I try to do something by myself, I end up screwing it up because I'm human and I'm fallible. But if I go to God, I can make it happen. Yeah, he said somewhere in the Bible, and I'm paraphrasing, but he said, look at the birds in the trees. They get everything they need. And how much more are you loved? How much more valuable are you to me? Yeah. How much more valuable? And yeah, and he's talking about the birds and that he provides for them. The verse actually says that they don't reap and they don't sow, but yet they are fed. And are you not the least of these? And and that that's the truth. We are so much greater. So why wouldn't God take care of us? Especially if we are Christians. It sounds like a blueprint everybody should read. This should be taught in theology school. People don't emphasize it enough. It's the Bible. It's literally what the Bible tells us. We have the opportunity to harness these blessings. But I do think a lot of people are overwhelmed by the Bible and the, the way it's translated or whatever. So a book like yours could truly make a big difference in, in a lot of lives. Uh, I just Sorry. realized who you remind me of. Wonder Woman. <laughs> Really? I've gotten that my whole life that I look like Linda Carter. Carter. I'll, I'll sign your copy, Wonder Woman. OK, <laughs> so interesting that you brought up the point about, you know, the Bible being overwhelming and all the different translations. I made sure any verse that I quoted in my book, any verse that I quoted, I made sure that it showed up more than once. I didn't want to take anything out of context. If it's in the Bible multiple times, there's truth to it. The other thing is I use three major Bibles. I use the King James Version. I use the NIV and I use the New American Standard Bible, the NASB. Right. That way there was a consistency of this is what this Bible says. This is what this Bible says. All the translations. So you could understand that while the verbiage may be slightly different, the meaning is still the same. And I wanted that to come across that even though one, especially the King James Version, which is, the, in my opinion, one of the most difficult ones to understand because of the these and the thous. However, the message is still yeah. there. So if you can use it in context and making sure that you take whatever verse you're quoting, that you take it in the context in which it was written. One of the problems with prosperity gospel, for example, is that they use a verse in Malachi that they've misquoted over and over and over. If you right. take the verse in the entire paragraph that it's in, the paragraph is about not robbing from God, but they took it out of context and have built prosperity gospel on this basic principle. And sadly, that happens all the time. So I made sure with this book that I included not only multiple versions, but that I explained how the premise and the message is still the same.
Well, I'm super excited to read this book. Frankly, I'm more excited about what this book can do for the world. It's not just me. This is a big movement. Like this can change your very existence on earth. This can change the outcome of your family for generations. Yeah. And I know that this is a bigger message than I have. I mean, this isn't PB Lamb talking. God. Yeah, it came from God. And every time I would send a snippet of it. So my mother, for example, she would always be like, where did you get this? I'd be like, I'm telling you, I just wrote it and it just came to me. It just flowed through me. And she's like, no, 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 no. Where where did you get this? Because this doesn't sound like you. And I'm like, I know precisely. This is not me. This is coming from outside of me. And this is coming from God. I'm telling you, God literally dropped this in my lap. And I went, okay. Let me, let me, let me just stop what I'm doing. <laughs> I can tell from talking to you, you're extremely eloquent and well-versed and knowledgeable on this subject. Your book could change the entire fabric of society and change thousands, even millions of lives. Yeah, you're right. Generations. And, that, yeah. and that's what it's for. It's to change our mindset. We've been so misled by this law of attraction and law of success that's been out there. We've been so misled to think that we can do all this. And we've been told, oh, you can manifest a car and you can manifest a house and you can manifest living on an island in the middle of the ocean, which would be great. Except the problem is that it doesn't work because it's not for God's glory. It's yeah. not using the source where it came from. Right. There's another verse, Ecclesiastes 1.9, that says nothing new under the sun is unknown to God. God knows everything. He knows every thought before it even happens. If you think Thomas Edison just instantaneously thought about light and how to create light, you are wrong because it came from God. There's nothing new under the sun. And therefore, all of this, all of this God knows about and God has crafted and created. If you want that nice house, and my book talks about this, the goal behind it needs to be centered towards something that is God-centered, not for some selfish ego-listed reason. And that's the problem. And that's why the law of attraction and the law of success doesn't work for everybody. And then other people argue and say, well, but law of attraction has worked for somebody. But I I bring you to this. It may have worked for somebody, but who did it affect down the line that you don't know about? Right. Who did it affect? Who did it put into place in God's plan that you don't know about? Right. Yeah, it helped that one person, but there's a laundry list of people below that, that it, it ended up helping. Amen. And I use this in my book as well. And it goes along with the same thing. When you give generously and you give from a cheerful heart, because the Bible says to give from a cheerful heart, when you give that money generously, you need to think about it in terms of God is going to bless this. You don't need to judge what happens in the interim. So you give the money and then you let it go and you let God do what God's going to do with it. And you know, I love that her passion is so demonstrated. She has our Italian style (laughs) hand gestures that whack into the mic. (laughs) I was going to ask you how you hurt your hand, but now I think I know. No. (laughs) Well, without getting into any of the details, I had an accident at work. And then I had this idea. I had this going. God sat me down and said, okay, now you're at home. You're not flying. You're not working. You're not going anywhere. Now you have no choice. You have no excuse. You have nothing that you have to be at. Now you're going to do what I'm telling you to do. And I did it. Amen. So tell everyone where they can find your book. It's a new book. It'll be out, I think, the day the show airs. 
Yeah, I think it's coming out December 1st is what we're aiming for. It will be out in all the major retailers. The name of the book is Biblical Wealth and Prosperity, A Christian Guide to Manifesting Money by P.D. Lamb. It will be on Amazon. It'll be in Barnes and Noble. So I'm hoping that it's going to be in the stores, but that may take a little bit because publication date is supposed to be December 1st. And also, where can they follow you on social media? Social media, I'm on all of them. It's usually P.B. Lamb author. I'm on Instagram. It's underscore author. You can also find every link on my website, which is pblamb.com. And as always, in the show notes, if you go to our archives and Spotify, our Heart Radio, where podcasts are consumed, I will have links to all her stuff and it'll make it real easy for you. Well, thank you for coming on. You're a breath of fresh air and literally a gift from God and he's blessed you abundantly. I know you give him credit and glory, so just keep up the good work. Keep doing what you do. Well, that's another one in the books on our thing. Amazing guest. I'm inspired. I can't wait to read her book. But everybody, make sure to tune in next week on 1010 The King. Our thing, we out.